Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 126. Oh, man. How are you guys doing? It's been a long week for me. Not too bad. Doing good. Yep. Yeah. And struggling with the uh, iPhone 10 changes. There's lots of stuff all over my apps because they're landscape only. <laughs> <laughs> so what are so you? It's been fun. Yeah. What are you? What are you doing? Are you just going to offset the phone so that you know offset the screen a little bit? Well, yeah. I mean, you got to pull stuff in from the sides, um, and then we're still struggling with what the right answer is. For our swipe from the bottom plane, we may enable like a single tap uh, just so people don't get annoyed by the home indicator. They have the edge protection thing, which they changed in the 11.1 beta. So it looked before the home indicator didn't change appearance at all with when you had edge protection turned on. Um, but now... It has this like uh like the translucent look that they have like in control center and stuff like that on the home indicator, so it doesn't look as bad. But all the touches go through to the card, so if you are legitimately trying to access your home screen, we're having the problem that it seems like you may accidentally play cards in our card games. So we're not sure what the best way to deal with that is. We might have to like block out like the one of the prime touch areas for the app and ignore those touches or something. We're still, we're still kind of looking at our options. And then there's all the little annoying, you know, layout changes that we have to make because some of our stuff is in web views. Some of it's UI kit, some of it's programmatic, some of it's auto layout uh, and interface builder. So it's, it's fun, especially when you have to go back to iOS nine to, uh, Make sure those things all work. It, it's super easy on iOS 11. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, but all those great things, like the safe layout guides, don't exist in 10 or 9. Yeah. So, yeah. And I guess you could consider dropping 9, but that's probably still a significant uh, number of users for you, right? Yeah, we've got a decent amount of iPad users that got stuck on 9, I think. So. Oh, those would be some like iPad. Pretty old like iPad twos. Well, they sold those iPad twos for a long time. Yeah. So we got a lot of iPad twos. Maybe some of the original minis that are the same hardware as the iPad twos. Right. Yeah, I still have a original mini on my bookshelf up here. It's great for testing that kind of old stuff. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, been doing that fun stuff. What about you, Alex? Oh, I've been writing proposals and and things like that. And uh, migrating to uh, Swift Codable and such. So not too much fun with uh, iPhone 10 yet. Uh, still have that on our to-do list. But our apps are mostly portrait, and I don't think it, you know we don't work on games, so I don't think we're going to have too much difficulty with the iPhone 10. The little bit of testing that I've done, it you know there's a few spots where things are misaligned, but. Uh, only a few. Yeah, I feel like if you're if you're making a UI kit app that's like a normal UI kit app, 
you can probably just turn off landscape mode and then just worry about the the corners and maybe if you have like some custom tab bars you be doesn't seem like it'd be too bad but <laughs> yeah if you have custom bars at the bottom then you have to code for it with a 10 but otherwise you should be fine yeah but landscape is just a mess <laughs> so it's super fun even like default navigation bars like they don't you would think the navigation UI navigation controller setting some bar button items and stuff would like not cut things off, but nope. <laughs> <laughs> but enough enough of me complaining about that. What have you been up to, Sam? Well, I ended up with a whole lot of free time in my life these days uh, due to a uh, staffing issue, I guess you could say. So I've been working around uh, playing a lot with uh, Firebase these days on just a little side app I've been working on and exploring that. <laughs> so I got this app out for iOS and it's just in a private beta right now. Then, and this was earlier in September and pretty much as soon as I turned around or as soon as I got that out, I turned around and started working on an Android version and man, it, you know, I did an Android app. Oh, I'd say going on five years ago now. The, the tooling is completely changed. Uh, yeah, I've updated that app over time, but I never really did anything, any significant changes to it, except for maybe some UI work. So give the uh, listeners some context for your app first. <laughs> uh, which one? The, the one I originally did or the, the, the one, one you're working on now? Okay. So it's, it's an app that uh, requires real time uh, communication between uh, devices. And so what happens is people can report an event and then they'll see that event show up on their phone right away. If they happen to be actually even in that area, looking at the phone, I have it in my list of things to do that it will send out notifications. That's a, a little further down the road right now, but, at this point, I have a map view. People can report things, and it shows up on everybody's screen in real time. And then you can tap on that thing and then see details and then uh, interact with it, add like an RSVP, and then other people can see that as well. Are you so, going to tell people what the events are? Or no, is it top secret still? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's top secret for a little bit. There, All right. There is a little bit of competition in the stores right now. Okay. Uh, the good part that I have going for me is that all of those apps are single platform. Mine will be simultaneously released for iOS and Android at the same time, which is a big deal because if half your users can't access something that re relies on community reported data, then it's a problem, right? I would agree. It has given me a little bit of a new appreciation for the the ease and effort that something like React Native might have solved this issue. I guess I look at the uh, month of duplicate work as the price of not having to use JavaScript. I, I definitely think if I could do something that was still native and not JavaScript, then I would be more into the idea. So Cotton or Swift React Native 
you would be cool with? <laughs> yeah, if I could compile Swift on Android easily, that would, would have been great. What about C Sharp? Yeah, you know that for a long time, the <laughs> licensing model on that wasn't wasn't something that was uh, feasible for an, an indie developer. I think, what, last year that changed? I just have never revisited it. Yeah. But it's... I don't think I'd want to work in that tool chain anyways. We're talking about uh, mono development. Xamarin. Uh, Xamarin, all that stuff. That's Yeah, it's no fun. I don't think so. Well, I don't blame you for not trying that out, but it seems like it fits all of your criteria. <laughs> it does, but the... So on iOS, it's native. Xamarin is native. But on Android, it actually uses a VM that's not the built-in Dalvik VM. And so you have... But it still calls into Android widgets and stuff, right? It does. But what you end up with is these two parallel processes basically running for your app. And everything that your app that's Android specific has to be represented in both the Android side of the world and in the .NET side of the world on the phone. And, you know, modern phones, I'm sure, can handle that, but still just not not as clean as I would like it to be. That's fair. So you did, you basically, you know, made two native apps and their native tool chains and stuff. So so how was that? <laughs> it's, been, it's been a good experience. Uh, Android development has come a long way from the Eclipse days, IntelliJ's, uh, well, Android Studio, which is based off IntelliJ's, is pretty good. I do find it to be a, a much more cluttered IDE than something like Xcode. But yeah, when you use Xcode every day, you're like, oh, it's got to be better than this, but... <laughs> yeah. I think when you first switch to Xcode, you get kind of weirded out. Things aren't where you expect them to be, and it takes you a while to get situated. And then you get used to oh, yeah. it, and you really start to like it. Yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, even Eclipse, Android Studio, Visual Studio, all those all those things, IntelliJ, even though they had differences between them, they had a very similar, you know, kind of organization for all their windows and stuff like that. And, yeah, Xcode is just something completely different. Yeah, but once you start learning the hotkeys in Xcode... I, mean, I can't tell you how many times something like uh, command alt one or two or zero or just command one, two, zero, those kinds of things that I use and things like uh, alt clicking on something in your project explorer and having it open up in the, in the, uh, what's that extra window that kind of that split window on the right? Like the assistant editor. Yeah. Just different things like that where you're, Oh yeah, it's a, it's a, I think it's a good workflow overall in Xcode. I like Xcode. You know, the, the biggest downside for a while had been the lack of any type of refactoring or anything like that and stability, but they've gotten a lot better on that stuff too over the past year or two. So yeah, stability is a lot better. Refactoring. But yeah. As a Swift user, refactoring is just kind of this magic unicorn. <laughs> yeah. Android has gotten a lot better than it used to be. Um, you act the, the emulator that you have now is actually usable with a lot of the changes that they've made. It used to be like impossible to, to deal with. You'd basically just need a device to test things on. Um, IntelliJ slash Android studio, like you said, is way better than, 
Eclipse ever was. Is there anything else that's kind of struck you? Kotlin, I've, I've, so I was going to do this project in Java originally, and I guess I made the mistake of checking the Kotlin box on when I did the new project thing, and I kind of just rolled with it because I thought, well, it's got to be better than Java. And Android Studio does make it nice because you can, say, copy sample code off of the web that's in Java. In Java, yep. <laughs> and then paste it right into your Kotlin source file. And it does yeah, that's, uh, stuff for you. Yeah, it was a great demo that they they love to do. And I know they did it at I.O. I'm sure they try to pull that demo off whenever they can. But it actually works pretty well. So yeah, I, it'd be nice if I could paste some Objective-C <laughs> uh, and get and get Swift or vice versa even. Yeah. Or s- some Swift 1 or 2. Mm. <laughs> that would be cool, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, it might be a little bit harder to determine yeah. exactly what it is. So I, I guess you could say I've kind of learned Kotlin by copy-paste. It's probably the first language I've ever learned through copy-paste. Uh, I would even sometimes... Copy-paste-lin. <laughs> I'd even write some Java code in a in sublime text and then just copy and paste it over into IntelliJ or Android Studio and see what the code came out as. Yeah, Kotlin's a nice language. It's been around longer than... Swift has publicly, at least, uh, and it's nice and concise. It has a lot of the good things that Swift has, and it also has way better interop than than uh, Swift and Objective-C have for all the Java, JVM languages, Java, Kotlin, and all the other ones you'd want to run on it. So it's kind of jealous of the Android folks for that regard. Yeah, so the funny thing is the... The very first Android app I did, I didn't want to do it in Java. So I, I, uh, saw people doing some apps in Scala. And so I, Ooh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it ended up being pretty painful. And, uh, I ended up, I did eventually rewrite that app in just straight Java because trying to maintain the Kotlin code and, or the, the Scala code and doing all the paring down of the, the runtime using uh, ProGuard and whatnot to uh, make sure that the app would actually fit on a device. Just got to be too hard to maintain. Yeah, fun, or, yeah. strangely enough, the first time I think I ever saw you or met you, Sam, was you giving a talk at CodeMash. Yeah. On on Android apps with, with uh, Scala. So <laughs> <laughs> you've come a long way from that. Yeah. You've come to the, to the light side. It was probably a good idea at the time. <laughs> Maybe. What? The good idea was switching to iOS from well, that was doing the, Android with Scala? <laughs> yeah, that was definitely an improvement. Yeah. yeah. Especially at that point in time. Because that was, uh, I guess, about five years ago, right? And at that point in time, Java had just stagnated. Uh, Java 6 had been out for a long time, and 7 was just still a pipe dream anything was going to be better than just straight java at that point so so having just done this recently because i i normally go back and forth over long periods of time but you've kind of done like a crash course like how do you feel the the development environments kind of stack up to each other Uh, are they just like at a high level so they're they're pretty equal that that emulator is still a problem on android yeah, it, it's 
gotten a lot faster. I remember back in the day when tablets first came out, you could not run a tablet emulator because the screen was just too large and you would get, you know, five frames per second or something terrible. I think that's gotten better. Well, an instant run helps a lot uh, for running an emulator. Yeah, it's huge. But yeah, I can... Actually, the funny thing is there's some kind of bug that's shipped in the, in Xcode 9 and 9.1 that makes the iPhone 10 simulator go at like five frames per second. <laughs> so the Android emulators, I would say, uh, kind of went out versus the iPhone 10 simulator right now. <laughs> Hopefully that will change very soon, though. It would be very nice. Um, so, so you also mentioned, Sam, that you're, you're doing some, uh, cross platform community stuff. So what are you using for all that data? That's Firebase. That's all Firebase. So, so how have you like Firebase? I know I, I've used Firebase just kind of as the, just mainly the analytics portion, kind of as the heir apparent to Google analytics. Um, how, how is it as a, Kind of like back end as a service. Is it does it work pretty pretty well, pretty straightforward or it's very fast. Yeah, I'm used to things like Mongo, which is fast too, but I'm when I want to structure my data, I'm used to things like Mongo where I can nest things in documents and I have various collections and it's So it's, is Firebase web web speed or web scale or whatever it is. <laughs> going back to that old one, huh? You should put that link in the show notes for anyone who doesn't get the reference. <laughs> have to find it these days. It's kind of hard. Yeah. So Firebase is really one giant. Well, it's represented as one giant JSON document. So you have your root, and then you can have all your your uh, leaves off of that, your branches and your leaves, and you really have to think about how your data is going to be structured. Uh, particularly if you want to have security on some of these things. So just the way their security rules go, it's kind of a, I forget now exactly how it works, but you don't want to try to make, you can't do mixed security modes on different or branches because you basically would grant access to a branch at a certain level. And then that person gets everything down below that. And so you can't add a lower a node then say, well, only these people can actually see this data. So you have to think about, well, if I'm going to do a chat and I want private chat rooms, then how, where am I going to put all my messages? You know, how would I structure my user account, user data in this thing? I don't want to grant read to the user uh, node because then everybody would be able to see everybody's information. And I don't, you wouldn't want to like put a certain activity feed under a certain user because then you can't share that to the public at large. So you kind of end up putting things in uh, like wider buckets, I guess you'd say. So does that make sense? It's really hard to describe. I would say it's hard to understand. Too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. If it's hard to describe, it's definitely going to be hard to understand. Yeah. Um, but it's, it sounds kind of along the lines of kind of how the security stuff works in CloudKit, though. From from my 
poor understanding of what you're explaining <laughs> to me. At a high level, I would say you have to flatten out your data structure. You can't just think of it as a, a JSON tree and I can grant people access to anything inside of there at any kind of level and however I want it to be. If you need fine-grained security in some portions of, of your data, then you really just need a whole nother parallel node of that data rather than trying to nest things deeply. So very shallow and wide trees instead of narrow and deep. So is this just more uh, a side effect of your use case than Firebase's API, you think? No, this is a side effect of Firebase's security. Fair enough. It is because access is granted at the highest point in the tree rather than the lowest point in the tree. But otherwise, you know, once once I've got over that hump, that initial mental model shift, I guess you'd call it, working with Firebase hasn't been bad at all. I kind of like it. Uh, the, the iOS API is a little weird. It, it's, it's an Objective-C API. And if you want to, uh, say, register listeners for a query, so you, one of the things you can do in Firebase is you can query data, and then you can leave that query open and receive all updates to that data. And that's how I get this real-time re uh, reporting of these events going across. And so you have to structure, you have to create your query and then hold on to a handler for it, basically a handle. And once you're done with that data, then done with that query, you have to make sure that you remove the listener. Otherwise you keep receiving updates for this thing until your app dies. But it's a kind of a hybrid of uh, a C API and an Objective-C. It feels, in some ways it feels a little bit more like uh, C than Objective-C. For me, I just wrapped it all in, in a couple of Swift classes and threw in some RX Swift. So it's been good. Now one funny story about that. So one of the things you can do in this in this application is uh, kind of scroll a map around. And I have that in RX Swift where it's emitting this uh, location bounds every so often when you're scrolling. And then I query that and I keep that query open. And then it's supposed to release the old query resources. And for some reason, I didn't realize that it wasn't happening on iOS. But then when I was doing this Android work, I was doing that with RX Java 2, which is a still is a different beast than uh, RX Swift. Some ways more robust, I guess. But anyway, I found this bug and I was like, well, this code works, the same kind of code works over here, but it's not working in Android. And what am I, what's going on? I ended up spending a couple of days on this issue and posted the Stack Overflow and one of the RX Java maintainers set me straight. And then I found out that, yeah, I've got this bug in, in uh, iOS too. So fun times. R RX stuff, it can be complicated. Well, sounds fun. Good luck on, on getting your app out there. Thanks. Possibly so before. new this week. <laughs> Possibly before what? Possibly before this hits our listeners' ears. I'm hoping to get a app submission before before Thursday morning. Well, I guess probably Friday at this point. Man, and you still won't tell them about it. <laughs> we'll have to talk about it next week. Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> so what else is new this week? So far, it's a pretty quiet week. Uh, in between product announcements or product releases, we did get a new beta for all the OSs, that dot one release, which is kind of the dot one tends to be kind of for me the point in which it's now okay to use for production. <laughs> you know, I kind of hold off on especially Mac OS on my primary machine uh, to upgrade into at least uh, a bug fix release. I think that it's it's a wise choice, but sometimes even with different iOS versions, it's better to hold off till like the fourth or fifth or even sixth dot release. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, things you know the you know it's kind of like this weird valley in between the old and the new, and there's weird defects that come up because of the behaviors different. Uh, you know, some sort of edge case that wasn't caught. Um, before the final release. So, you know, I usually caution upgrading to the latest Xcode or building with the latest SDK until bug fix releases come out and, and those kinks have been worked out. Unless well, you're working on an app that's specifically targeting the latest. Yeah, well, they probably were found. It's just that there's a certain cutoff date for the hardware and they have to burn that image onto that firmware image onto all those iPhones that are going to be shipped out with the announcement. They can't just open up a million boxes and reflash a bunch of iPhones. So they make the, they do a cut and they find more issues, but they can't actually release that until later. And I think in the case of iOS eight, that thing really wasn't stable until at least the fourth, third or fourth dot release. And even then, it was kind of rough. In theory, with the public betas, it gets ex exposure to a lot more users, a lot more uh, scenarios. So in theory, uh, more issues are found ahead of time. But, you know, it's still not the same as being released to. But it's good. We're making progress, right? Yep. And we, we can already say that we've got way more adoption than Android has Oreo users. I haven't looked this week. I know it was above 25%. It might be closer to 30 or 40 now. Although it's still slower than iOS 10 was, for what it's worth. <laughs> I haven't. And my users are even slower to update. I haven't actually paid attention to the adoption rate at this point, this time around. Usually, what, six weeks is a good metric? But then we also have this issue where a lot of people may not be updating just because they're going to go buy the iPhone 10, and they're going to get it then. Yeah, that might be part of the, the slow updates. It'll happen, and we'll be able to drop 9 support at some point. Or depending on your app, drop 10 support too. <laughs> <laughs> so according to Mixpanel, as of October 2nd, they're tracking iOS 11 at almost 36%. I need to go help that number out and upgrade my wife's phone. She She's just hesitant to upgrade anything. Now, I updated my whole families. They didn't have a choice. My four-year-old was so upset. <laughs> <laughs> he did not like the new recent, uh, the, the new look of the dock in the bottom of his iPad and also the, the recent icons. He was mad that he couldn't get rid of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can... This is, this is just... You can actually get rid of those. Can you? You can turn that off. At least you could in the beta. I think that's true in the GM, hmm. too. Is it just somewhere in settings? I can't remember. I remember turning that off early on in the beta, partially because I was 
doing a demo <laughs> for a client and I didn't, didn't want to have to worry <laughs> about managing that. It's like, so you were playing Clash of Clans last? <laughs> I mean, you went a whole lot more PG than I would have gone there. <laughs> we know, Sam. <laughs> my, my iPad's got a very boring set of apps on it. Yeah, Netflix is not a good app to show up for your client, so... <laughs> uh, Netflix is a lot safer than other ones, that's for sure. <laughs> and you, you can't just swipe it down to hide it, right? I thought you could do that in one of the betas. The dock? I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I do remember there not, being not, some... I don't think on the home screen you can, but... Okay. I do remember there were being some kind of some bugs that you could kind of get it, the dock into a weird state if you played around with it just right. Yeah, speaking of random iOS 11 things that I did not know about, apparently you can uh, customize Control Center, which is kind of cool. Yes. So that was a that was a story or a conversation I had with my wife. Actually, she was a uh, Samsung Note 7 user and decided that we really wanted to keep our house from burning down. So we she traded it in and and got the the new iPhone the seven plus at the time and she's she's still a loyal samsung user at heart and we were having a conversation she was saying how she really just doesn't like her iphone that much and wishes she could go back to samsung and she said like this the note has this thing i guess where you can pull out the stylus and then tap something on the screen and all of a sudden you can start writing a note on it which is cool uh but i told her yeah you could do that with your iphone just no stylus, and she had no idea. She had no idea because she's also on iOS 10 still. But yeah, you can actually customize your control center, and that applies to everything on your lock screen, too, if you want. So I added it on my phone where I can just swipe up on the lock screen and type in a note or switch over to drawing mode and, and uh, scroll a note on there. Yeah, this seems like something that Apple didn't want to do, but looking at the list of the things that you can add, like guided access, accessibility shortcuts, these all seem like things that, that may have originally been like a tap so many times on the home button type thing. Hey, we're not going to have a home button in one of our iOS 11 devices, so <laughs> I wonder if that's why they finally bit the bullet and gave us access for it. Yeah, you know, one thing that I missed during the betas and I don't know that I ever found this before, but you know, in iOS 10, you could have your wallet show up on your lock screen. And so when, when I would travel on airplanes, I'd want to pull out my boarding pass during the summer when I was traveling with the betas that was gone. Now you can go back into control center and add that back. So that's, that's a nice feature. There's a lot of, a lot of nice things you can add to that. Yeah. Screen recording. Text size changing on the fly. Hmm. Yeah, I guess because you would want to triple tap your home button that for accessibility stuff, and that's going to be gone on the 10. Interesting. A quick update on the uh, removing the recents uh, from the dock. You, it's under general. Okay. So there's multitasking in dock, and then you can tell it to hide uh, suggested and recents. Hmm. Oh, my four-year-old will be so happy, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him change is good. Get used to it. I use it as a teaching moment. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
well, on that note, I guess that's about all the time we have left this week. So why don't you guys tell me where I can find you on the internet? You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. And you can find me at Sam Quarter. I'm at Alex Argo. And you can find the podcast at Shared Inst. Come join us in our Slack uh, by going to chat.sharedinstance.com and talk about all the cool stuff that you guys have been doing recently. Uh, We'll talk to you guys later.